Welcome to the show. Paul George, Deacon out of Conkins Studio. We're jamming out this morning. Jamming out. For today. What day is it? I have no idea. <laughs> Welcome to the show, everyone. <laughs> Great to be with you today. Glad that you're with us. Thanks for listening in on the radio, KLFT, here in Acadiana or on the podcast, wherever you are. Super, super glad you're a part of the show. Lots going on this time of year. Thanksgiving is coming up next week. Adam. Yeah, it's it's a time to give thanks. Lots of amazing, cool things happening in the church coming up, you know, and we got Christmas. I mean, it it's it's a wonderful time of year. It is, and that's good because uh, I just feel like we've had a long drudgery of pandemics and, and, and economy problems and like all kind of stuff. And as Catholics, hey, this is this is go time spiritually. Let's let's get it together. Let's do this Advent Christmas thing, you know? <laughs> Let's reboot. That's right. Reboot Start spiritually. Over. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's what's great about the spiritual life is that uh, you're not defined by yesterday. You know, like, we, we can start over each day. We can begin anew. And, that you know, that's a great thing. A lot of times we try to live in regret or in the past. But, you know, God allows us to, to reset each day, you know? And so, anyway, it's, it's a good time. And you, you know, this year working out of school— Mm-hmm. Uh, and the grind of every day out of school. So the holidays are coming up. So I'm sure you can kind of come up for a little air over Thanksgiving. Then you come back for a few weeks and you get Christmas break. You breathe a little bit, you know, which I'm sure you and, you know, the team there are, are looking forward to that. Absolutely. In fact, I'm going on a family retreat next week uh, during the Thanksgiving break. For, for Thanksgiving? Yeah. I mean, I'll be back for the Wednesday so I don't miss my mom's turkey. Where y'all going? We're going to uh, Hansville, Alabama. Okay. Out to the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament. Just you and your crew? Yep. Me, my wife, and my eight kids, and we're going to have a great time. You're going to put them in a van down by the river? Put them in a van. We're going to stay by a lake, not a river. Same Um, same water. There's a little lake over there. In a van down by the water. (laughs) Yeah. And we won't sleep in the van once we get there. There's there's beds. There's cabins. But it's a wonderful experience. I mean, we've done that before. Um, It's been several years, but we've done that before. And uh, it's a great place for families because, I mean, it's a beautiful area. It's hilly. There's woods. And in this case, we'll be staying at a lake. So that's nice. And then the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament is just a treasure. I mean, it's a beautiful place to be. And it's so educational for the kids because they, I'm sure, have you been? Yeah. Okay. So they have the, like that, um, the stations of the Eucharist that they did, for example, um, that the kids can walk through and read about. And like, it's just so neat. They have the replica of our, the Lord's grotto there. So a great experience for the kids. You know? They actually have a campground there, or you stay off-site, and then you can off-site. just drive into the shrine. Yeah, off-site. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know if they had built like a retreat center there. They have some houses down the street, but you got to book them apparently a lot earlier than we did. Yeah. So, or try to. I mean, with eight kids, you're kind of last minute on things, man. <laughs> I mean, you got a lot going on. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The, but that'll be a great trip. Yeah, I'm looking forward that'll to it. That'll be fun. Looking for what are you doing over the Thanksgiving break? Eating. Nice. Yeah, I'm being thankful. Mm-hmm. You know. So anyway, you ever have you seen? What did you say? That is so interesting. Oh, for real though. You ever just get it wrong? Uh, probably. I would say. Like you think you know what you're talking about, but you just didn't. I would say over fifty percent of the time, I get it wrong. That's not bad. I mean, if you're especially you know, at home, a batting average pretty much is pretty wrong. good. It's my, <laughs> probably ninety <laughs> percent. Well, in England, um, a police officer made a startling call mm. for backup. Yeah, because um, 
one of the local public swimming pools okay. was filled with sharks. Whoa. And this was a disaster. So he made a call, um, and he said, hey, in the swimming pool, there are sharks swimming around, and there's an artificial Christmas tree in the middle. I kid you not. Send back up, right? So the police come. Everybody gets out of the water. And as it turns out, um, it was these precious little goldfish that were in the pool. Not hmm. sharks at all. Now, they weren't little goldfish. I'll give him that. Now, how do you get that wrong? <laughs> well, That's I what know. I want to know. I don't know because, I mean, there's a picture of one of the fish, and it's uh, it's orange <laughs> with some white spots. But, I mean, it is, I guess, a larger goldfish than you get at a county fair or something like that. Um, They're like these big – I've seen really big goldfish before. So was he yeah. looking in the water thinking those are sharks? That's right, and he freaked out, got everybody freaked out. It was apparently at an apartment complex where they share a pool, you know? Yeah. Um, but it, there were several types of goldfish, and, you know, there weren't any sharks at all. Um, but it was quite the scene that day. So that's pretty funny. The police department had to admit and issue a statement to the community that um, they got it wrong that their officer was in fact mistaken. It's safe to swim in your pool because the landlord was quite upset because now this rumor had started that there were sharks in the pool <laughs> and pe- people were mad at the landlord. So the uh, police station had to issue this retraction. Well, I like what you said, you know, did you ever get it wrong? I mean, the reality is, yes, we we all get it wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Um. I think one of the biggest obstacles in our life is pride. You know, like we don't want to get it wrong. We want to be right. And even if we, if we don't want to be right, we don't want to be wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. Like we, the humility of being wrong or getting something wrong. Right. Like it, it just, it costs too much and we don't want to deal with it. Right. And that could be like in an argument with our spouse or, even with our kids, we can get it wrong or at work or just in passing in a conversation, you know, like we just are so afraid to get it wrong because to drink from the, from the font of humility, sometimes is really difficult. Yeah. Well, and to me, keeping a good sense of humor about yourself makes it easier to drink because, you know, like, I don't know, I don't know how this officer spent that day once he realized what happened. I don't know if he spent it with his head down in shame or if he just laughed the rest of the day. I would hope I would be laughing like the rest of the day. Yeah, unless your job was like at stake. That's true. You know, right. it's like, Maybe hey, he wasn't laughing about that. That was kind of a big... Uh, <laughs> Listen, Brian, one more short call and you're out. You're done. <laughs> you're done. You're done. You got the Christmas tree right, but not the good... <laughs> the shark's not... I don't know if people know this. Like, here... If there's ever like a hurricane and like there's flooding or just torrential rain over days, but more so like the flooding from like the ocean that's pushed up into like dry land, you know, on the coast, Mm -hmm. someone has like, say, like a pond in their yard. There have been times where like when the water recedes back, people are like, hey, I have a shark in my pond. I have, you know, these saltwater fish in my freshwater pond. That's happened here. And it could have happened in, in England. It could have happened there, but <laughs> it you didn't. Know, th- there was nothing there. Yeah. You know. I I find that my kids love to point out when I get it wrong. Right. And uh, 
uh, I've had to learn to just laugh about it. And, you know, because if they're laughing about it, that means they're not hurt by it. They're not, you know what I mean? Like, if we can all have a good laugh at how silly dad was or how he thought, you know, this needed to happen, but it didn't really, um, it kind of eases the tension and, and hurt and pain that can come from getting it wrong. Because sometimes we actually hurt people when we get it wrong, right? No, absolutely. I think one of the greatest lessons that I've learned and learning, and it didn't come naturally or easy for me, particularly as I got married and had children, is to say I'm sorry, to apologize, and to be genuine about that. Because it wasn't so much to to actually say those words as much as it was or is to admit that you're wrong, right? And to swallow your pride and to to just not have the right answer. You know, because sometimes when you admit you're wrong, you might have to admit that you don't even know anything. You mm-hmm. don't know the right answer. You don't know what to do. You don't know what, what the right step is, you know? Mm-hmm. And that can be really, really difficult. Uh, and pride is kind of at the root of that. And oftentimes when we think about certain obstacles or sins, which we'll get into a little bit more today, is we don't think of pride as much of an obstacle because it's not like a... It's not like a, you know, one of those things we struggle with that's very tangible, you know, like we could feel it, taste it, touch it type of sin or obstacle, right? Pride is, is one of those things that lingers internally inside and it comes out in, in sideways and weird ways and in certain ways. And we didn't realize that that's what it was. Pride takes a lot of time to like really reflect on, like to go deeper on in, mm-hmm. in, in our own personal reflection and prayer and say, what's at the root of that? You know, what's at the root of, of, you know, me, you know, not wanting to get it wrong or always wanting to get it right or be right or not apologize or to admit my failures, right? Mm-hmm. It's there. Yeah, and it'll show itself when I'm grumpy, you know, or when I'm, I'm pouting, if I'm a powder, mm-hmm. especially if I have any passive-aggressive tendencies at all. I mean... I can't think of any passive aggressive behavior that doesn't stem from pride. Like it, that's, that's like the song of pride, right? Like if I just decide that I'm going to give people a cold shoulder or, you know, shut down or whatever, um, because I think I'm in the right and they're in the wrong, you know, because, because pride makes it about right and wrong, but not in the healthy way. I mean, we should be worried about what's right and what's wrong as far as what's a sin and what's not, what's offending God or not, what's healthy for our family or not, what's healthy for me or not. Those are the good things to be talking about. But to get into this judge and jury situation and executioner sometimes of like, you did this and and I'm in the right and you're in the wrong and I become pouty and passive aggressive about it. I mean, that those are the, the hallmarks of that pride. That, as you're saying, when we notice these behaviors in us, we have to look deeper. We have to look deeper over and over. We have to. You know, I think a great approach that I've learned learning still is, you know, whether, you know, you're in a conversation, an argument or a back and forth is, is not to, to automatically kind of go where we want to go is where, where in this conversation am I right? And let me prove where I'm right. Mm -hmm. The thing where it helps the conversation sort of disarm is to think, where am I wrong? Where in this am I not getting it right? Mm-hmm. And when we think deeper and reflect and begin to kind of approach the conversation or the argument or the resolution 
in that regard with humility of like, you know what, here's where I've gotten it wrong and I want to apologize. All of a sudden the other person is disarmed. They don't even know what to do or say. And then they kind of sort of drop their fists, right? Mm -hmm. And open their hands and kind of surrender to the conversation. And that's when the conversation can actually be very fruitful, you know? And so say I said something that, that really offended you, right? And you hadn't seen me for a week and you're coming into the studio and you're still stewing at it. Right. And you, you want to just say something passive aggressive and, mm-hmm. and it could come out, you know, some way like, Oh, Paul always thinks he knows what he's yeah. talking about. Nice vest, Paul. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> nice. Exactly. <laughs> and it doesn't seem, but I'm like, Oh, that seems sort of passive aggressive. Right. You know, and mm-hmm. instead of like, you know, I could have came in and said, hey, last week I said something I know to offend you. I wanted to apologize. Like, that just kind of brings a lot of peace to the conversation. Then then you could say, you know what? Thanks for doing that. I really appreciate it. You know, wasn't that big of a deal, but I've been thinking about it. And, you know, I forgive you. Done. But yeah. where things escalate and keep going is our pride sinks in. And you dig in and say, you know what? I'm going to keep jabbing at him and jamming at him. And I'm going to say, I'm not apologizing because what I said was right. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And so what's going to end up happening is it just builds a rift in our friendship, which isn't worth it. Mm-hmm. It's not worth it to, to be right. And to dig in, neither of it's fruitful. Right. And this happens oftentimes you see in marriages, right. Where there's mm-hmm. a lack of resolution and it's not even over something that's a really huge issue. Right. But it's, it, it sort of happens over these small issues and they kind of grow, right? And then each party digs in and, and sort of goes to their old ways of like dealing with, with it. And then it, it builds and builds and builds until it explodes into something. And you're like, well, that wasn't even what we were fighting about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's such great advice in approaching a situation like that. Is just admit you're wrong. You know, I, I would add to that. Don't be as minimal as possible because we do have a tendency when we, when we want to apologize and say we did something wrong, we want to express it in the least condemning way possible. Like last time we were together, I may have said something that might have, right. you know, no, like actually if you go over the top, you'll laugh about it. And that's what I meant earlier about having a good sense of humor to say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm actually such an idiot. Sometimes I get so side, like, you know, tunnel vision that all I'm thinking about is me and and uh, I'm sorry, you know, but like if you go over the top with it of how awful you were, the person will actually say, well, no, it wasn't that bad. Right. <laughs> you know yeah, saying? exactly. <laughs> you know, and it's okay. I think we, like you said, to kind of laugh at ourselves a little bit is we're all going to get it wrong. None of us are perfect. And if we're spinning our wheels our whole life trying to be perfect and get everything right, we're not going to be at peace. Right. Because there's, there's actually more joy in understanding that we're weak and we get it wrong and to laugh and have joy in that, then to try to make our life so perfect and ordered that we feel like we always have to get it right. So then when we don't, we can't handle it, you know? And I think to be more open and transparent, you're right. Like, you know, if I do something that hurts, hurts my wife's feelings or mostly, most of the times it's unintentional, right? Mm-hmm is not to just say, hey, I'm sorry. 
it sorry for what you know she's taught me that like what are you apologizing for mm-hmm. can you be a little bit more specific <laughs> and i'm like mm, well do i have to you know like <laughs> uh but it helps like i'm sorry you know when i said this that's not what i meant and i really apologize that that hurt your feelings you know i and, and really getting into what is it that you actually did you know Honestly, as a parent, and particularly as my kids have gotten older, I have found a lot of freedom in apologizing to my kids when I get it wrong. Mm-hmm. It is a very human thing. And I, it, and oftentimes parents think, oh, my kids are going to lose respect for me. I'm going to lose authority. I'm going to lose the ability to discipline or to be right or for them to listen to me. And actually, the opposite is true. When we get it wrong, we're able to apologize children see that humility and and they and then you can begin a conversation here's what i could have done differently here's what i meant to say right yeah and then that kind of begins to sort of build a deeper relationship on trust with your children all right we're going to take a break and we'll be right back the Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you this morning. You know, I can't imagine, have you ever looked at something from a distance? You're like, oh, those are, uh, you know, that's a, you know, a big pile of, you know, buildings or garbage or whatever. And and then you get closer and it's something completely different. Totally. You've gotten it wrong before. Oh yeah, totally. I'm like, for example, um, the few times I've been on a boat, on a bayou i've thought many times that there was an alligator about to eat us but it turned out to be a log yes mm-hmm. that is a thing here yeah a floating log often looks like an alligator and you get close and it's not or vice versa yeah floating alligator looks like a log and then it is and then it is <laughs> it is so, an alligator i mean you really do have to double check your sources <laughs> it's true you know uh, for true. sure i have found that as i've gotten older my eyes have not you know, held up as great. Really? So I can get things wrong, especially close up. You that know? happens. Sometimes if I don't have my, my glasses, the server at our table could get either a really good tip or a really bad one because <laughs> I can't see. And I'm like, what is what are those numbers? <laughs> you know, I get it wrong. I'm giving it to my kids to read. What does that say? <laughs> So we celebrate this Sunday, a really cool feast, the end of Ordinary Time, correct? Oh, yeah. And sort of the launch pad into Advent, which is great. I love the season of Advent. Like, if you were to ask me what's my favorite season, I would go Advent. Totally. You know, it's the beginning of the new year, the new spiritual year, um, and we end Ordinary Time or begin Advent, however you want to look at it. In, in some way, shape, or form, with uh, the Feast of Christ the King, mm-hmm. which is this Sunday. 
yeah, it's a big, big old deal. And hopefully some parishes are having their Eucharistic processions or things like that. Because the idea of the day is pretty awesome. We tell the whole world who their king is, you know. Um, think about all the elections that happen, and we stay up till 11 or midnight just to see who the president might be or the governor might be or the whatever might be for a term, for a time. I mean, we're talking about letting everybody know, well, actually, the king forever is Jesus. Yes. You know, it's supposed to be public. It's supposed to be um, kind of an opportunity to either challenge earthly authority or like temporal authority um, in those places where God is not welcomed. Here's an occasion, you know, to like in those communist countries or whatever else to take to the streets and declare that Jesus is king. Yep. And um, or in a place, hopefully like where we are, to remind earthly rulers who's really in charge so that hopefully they remember that every year, you know. Yeah, this is like going on top of the mountain or on top of the castle and blowing the trumpet and making the announcement. And here's the announcement, everyone, just so you know. Above everything, above all things, there is a king, and his name is Jesus. And as Christians, we proclaim that and pronounce that and put that as the highest authority in our life, in the church, in the world, and in our heart, plain and simply. And our world, there's a lot of people in our world that don't believe that. There's a lot of paganism and secularism, but it doesn't matter because the truth is the truth, right? Mm -hmm. And the, this is one of the things that we don't get wrong. This is what we get right, mm -hmm. that Christ is king. The official title of the day is the Solemnity of Our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the Universe. There you go. Just in case we meet aliens one day, now we know. They're your king, too. They're, Jesus died for aliens. Now we know. Everybody. Everybody. <laughs> Everybody he died for. You know what I'm saying? The universal king. And, and like you said, I think that's great that he's the highest authority. So if, if we're going to submit to a lower authority, it's only because he told us to. Right? Like, we, um, we're good as citizens on this, in, in this world because we're first citizens of heaven. And um, our Lord calls us to live for a time in this world, but there will come a day, and this is what, what it's pointing to. You mentioned how it's a, it's a segue into Advent. There will come a day when Jesus Christ, who's already king, he's already reigning, fulfills that mystery by destroying all earthly power except his, right? Mm -hmm. So America won't exist one day. Uh, China won't exist one day. The UN won't exist one day, but what will exist is the new heaven and the new earth with Jesus Christ uh, and Our Lady reigning uh, with him and all the saints and angels reigning with him forever. And that is the true kingdom of all, all humanity. And you're either part of that kingdom or you're part of a different kingdom with a different king. That's, that's not pleasant, right? That's right. <laughs> so this Sunday, we celebrate that, that there would be Sunday the 21st of November. It's not the beginning of Advent, it's the end of no, uh, you know ordinary time it sort of launches our focus into advent which the first sunday of advent will be the following sunday november 28th where we begin you know the season of advent preparation of the coming of jesus the second coming the coming now in our hearts and really focusing in on that but you can't focus on the coming if you don't know who who's coming right and mm -hmm. that's why you know, the solemnity of Christ the King, King of the universe, is here because it's saying, you know, we're not putting, you know, Santa as King of our heart. 
We're not putting, you know, Amazon and gifts as king of our heart. We're not putting even family as king of our heart. We're not putting money or things as king of our heart. We're not doing, we're not putting any of that as king of our heart. What we are about as Christians is that Jesus is king of the universe, king of our heart, and Advent is set up for us to allow that coming of the king, not coming of something else, right? Like Mm -hmm. Advent's not this pretty little season where we light candles and it's like, oh, that's kind of pretty. And they start decorating the church and it's kind of like, ah, no, it's, it is literally about us preparing our hearts for Jesus to sit on the throne and to be king of our lives. That's the beauty of it. And what does that, I mean, what does that actually look like practically? Like you've been trying to help people for a long time who want to make Jesus king of their life. Um, how do you, what, what does that really mean? Like, what do we mean by Jesus is Lord of my life or king of my life? What does that look like? You know, it's interesting. I really was thinking about that this morning, honestly. And one of the things that I, that really crossed my mind is, you know, I kind of go back to my own life, but then conversations with a lot of folks. And then I start asking, why isn't Jesus king of their life? Okay. And then it, when you really dig in with people pastorally, humanly, right? And so you as a deacon know this as well, is there a lot of obstacles at times in people's lives that keep them from allowing Jesus to be king of their life. A lot of obstacles. Some of those obstacles, let's go through those. Some of those that I've experienced in my own life, you've experienced, and in conversations with folks. Some of those obstacles are, you know, they have some brokenness and some woundedness from the past, right? And so when they think about the idea of surrendering their life, giving their life to the Lord, letting someone else take control or the reins of their life, you know, God, some of the that the that brokenness or their their past just really kind of locks and and, it, and their inability to surrender, you know, and but Jesus can can work through all that through all of our mess from our past from our hurts. Some of it the obstacles in people's lives is is patterns of of living that aren't conducive to. Uh, God being at the center. God's somewhere. Like if you were to draw a circle and you would put all the things in your life that that exist in that circle of your life, is is Jesus at the absolute center of that? Does everything revolve around him, you know? And for most folks that I talk to who struggle with this is that, you know, God is just one of the things in there, but not the center. Yeah, like he's in my kingdom, but I'm not in his necessarily. Correct. Yeah. You know, so I can just kind of compartmentalize and <clears throat> jump from one box to the next or, you know, within my the circle of my life. But but God's not like if you were to look at like a like a tire, there's a there's a hub. That hub never moves. I mean, if the hub moved, the tire wouldn't roll, right? Like mm-hmm. so and then everything revolves around that hub. That hub makes everything work you know, with the axle. So it is, is God the center and everything revolve around it? I think, you know, a lot of times people struggle with like juggling all the other things in life and just allowing God to be the center, you know, other obstacles are 
just sinful patterns and behaviors, and which is the beauty of Advent is sort of this mini Lent to begin to to go to confession, to confess the things that hold us back from allowing Jesus to be Lord of our life, right? To not uh, to putting other things on the throne. I mean, basically, sin is taking God off the throne and putting something else on it, right? That that's sin. It's mm-hmm. it, sin is the moment where we say, "I love this more than I love God." Like if we were to be honest, you know, and we've all. Scripture tells us we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all had moments where, you know, we've taken Jesus off the throne and we've put something else on that throne. Confession is is going back and putting Jesus on the throne and apologizing for the things that you've put on there that shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. And I'm always struck by, in my own life, and as people come to know the Lord and come to surrender their life to Him, you always have this experience of relief because when we are in charge of our life, when we are the kings of our lives, we're just not going to do it well, right? Like none of us do that well. And our life seems burdensome. Our life seems heavy. Um, Our life seems like things that I can't control, things that I cannot resolve. And so tension builds up over time, anger, sadness, all these things, hurt, woundedness. But when letting go and finally letting Jesus be the king of my life, there's always, in people's faces, when you see it happen, there's always a sense of relief, you know, like like a burden has been lifted. And I guess that just speaks to the, the reality that none of us were created to be kings on our own. We were created to be kings, but with Christ, like reigning with God um, in heaven. But when we try to be kings of our life on our own apart from him, it's exhausting. And I know everybody knows that feeling, that that rat race feeling of like, my life is unmanageable, my life is too much, I, I just don't know if I could do it. We've all been there, and, and the relief that comes with, with putting Christ on the throne is such a beautiful experience. The other thing I was thinking about your question is, you know, one was obstacles. And I think for us as we approach Advent is, is a question I'm asking myself is what are some obstacles that are in my life, whether they be patterns of behavior, patterns of life, sinful behavior, past hurts or wounds that are keeping me from surrendering my life to the Lord and him being the center. The other thing I thought about was what, what's easier to believe or not to believe. Hmm. And I think oftentimes not believing is much easier because if we say, I just don't believe in that, mm-hmm. then we don't have to worry about it. You're off the hook. You're yeah. off the hook. Now, your conscience is burdened. Now, you don't have an answer for life. You don't have meaning or purpose. Okay, so let's get to reality. You could turn it off. It's much easier not to believe. Just like we were talking earlier, it's much easier to pretend that there's no tension between us. I don't need to apologize. I don't need to admit I'm wrong. I'm just going to pretend like it never happened. Mm-hmm. And that's oftentimes what happens in relationships is when something goes wrong, people want to pretend that nothing happened and they sweep it under the rug. And that builds up. In our spiritual life, sometimes it's just a lot easier to turn the faith faucet off. Relationship. I just, it's easier to not to believe than to believe. And I find oftentimes today in our culture today, people are kind of subscribing to that. It's much easier to not believe. 
than to have to really search my soul to believe and put Jesus at the center of our life. Like he's going to take control and like, you know, run our life amok. Mm. Actually, the opposite is true. When Jesus takes the reins of our life, we find peace and hope and meaning and purpose and forgiveness and mercy and love and joy. And all those things become uh, abundant in our life as we grow in relationship with the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. But that's that does take a little bit of faith. It does take us risking a little bit, right, and surrendering. Yeah. Sometimes risking a lot. You know, for me, who was raised Catholic, I mean, my parents baptized me as a baby. They always encouraged me to have Catholic faith. It's not really a huge um, risk. I mean, it's a risk that I'm not in control of my life, but... It never seemed unreasonable to me, this idea of making Jesus king. It always seemed like a reasonable idea. But that's not most people's experience. And for some people who are either coming from a a Catholic home where they didn't practice their faith or coming from a non-Catholic background or a non-Christian background, you risk a lot by saying this this God, this man, Jesus Christ, is the king of your life and that you surrender everything to him. And I've gotten to witness that working with RCIA over the years. I mean, sometimes people risk relationships, like their parents are going to hate them for becoming Catholic. Sometimes people risk their life, <laughs> even. There was one guy from, um, he's an international fellow, but, uh, you know, back home, Christians weren't welcome. And so, you know, him him becoming Christian, him becoming Catholic was a big deal. And, um, you know, I think that's why we do this publicly with, with Christ the King, and why I would really encourage you, there's still time to Figure out some kind of public expression of your faith in Jesus as, as king this Sunday because it is risky to tell the world Jesus Christ is king. You don't know who's going to be upset by that news, but it's so important because people need to hear that news and they need to be invited to find that same peace and mercy and love you were just talking about by accepting Jesus Christ because he's king of everybody, not just the Christians. He's king of everybody. Exactly. You know, it's when we say Jesus is king of the universe, he's king no matter what. Like, you can believe that or not, it doesn't matter. So it would be like me saying to someone or someone saying to me that gravity exists for you, but it doesn't exist for me. Gravity is true for you, and you can believe in it if you want, which is relativism. Mm. But gravity doesn't exist for me. I choose, you know, to not to believe it. I'm like, well... Whether you believe it or not, it exists. It's still in motion. Your feet are still on the ground. You don't live on the moon. Mm. The reality is that Jesus is king whether you want to believe it or not. So the question for us is not whether or not Jesus is king, is whether or not you believe it or not. Mm. It's like gravity. Jesus is king. And and I have to somehow wrap my mind and my heart around that. This is what Advent's about. You know, so if you're have become spiritually distant or far away from God. Advent is like the reset button of just saying, let me, let me just lean into that. My mind and my heart just around the idea that God sent his son, Jesus into the world to save me. And he's King. And when I actually put that King at the center of my life, my life begins to change because I find meaning and purpose in relationship with God. Um, So, that's that's where it lands. <clears throat> you know, the, the gospel reading in relation to um, this Sunday, 
you know, Christ the King of the universe is the conversation that Jesus has with Pilate, you know, as he's going to the cross, you know, eventually to die and to, to lay his life down for his friends, for us. Is Pilate said to Jesus, are you the King of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this on your own or have others told you about me? Pilate answered, I am, I'm not a Jew. Am I? Am I? Your own nation and chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom does not belong to this world. So Jesus doesn't mince words. Like he goes right at it, you know. My kingdom, which means he's a king, does not belong to this world, the temporal world that you were talking about, Adam. If my kingdom did belong to this world, my attendants would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews, right? So Jesus is like, you know, if I was king, I, we, we would handle this right now. But like my king is bigger than this kingdom. It's greater than that. Uh, but as it is, my kingdom is not here, Jesus says. So Pilate said to him, then you are a king, question mark. Jesus answered, you say I am a king. For this I was, for this I was born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Every lo- everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Jesus states plainly that he, that he has a kingdom, that he is king. And he's having this conversation with one of the most powerful men in the, in the province, right? Mm-hmm. Where, where, you know, Jesus could have said, it's not really what I was meaning. You know, it's not, no, I, you know, just, I'm going to go back out into the desert and pray. When push came to shove, there was a confrontation and Jesus had, to, Jesus was completely upfront about who he was. And that's, that's a powerful moment for us. This is what we announce on the rooftops, that above this temporal world, above everything political, scientifically, above you know our own families, everything, Jesus is king. And it's striking because with his statements, he's showing at once two different things. One, he's not competing with this world for thrones, right? So Pilate assumes, well, this they're saying he's a king. He must want to rule these people. He must want to have this throne. And Jesus seems like he could care less, you know. And uh, but at the same time, he's claiming a much bigger throne that even Pilate realizes that if he's right, he's under it, right? So if he says, I've come to testify to the truth and my kingdom is not of this world, well, then Pilate, his heart is being stirred to want to follow this king. And he says, well, what is truth? You know, because he's pointing, the kingdom of truth that Jesus testifies to is bigger than this world. It's bigger than any particular throne, any particular people, but it speaks to the human heart itself, this human heart that was made for truth, that was made for freedom. And uh, and so Pilate now has this dilemma to submit to this king or not, and he ends up washing his hands of it and putting this king to death. Um, but that dilemma of what is truth, that wrestling within his heart Wherever the gospel is preached, it happens. And this is the, the beauty of our King Jesus, is he doesn't conquer with, with uh, armies and swords and, and guns. Um, like he said, if his kingdom was of this world, that's how he would do it. Yeah. But he conquers with the truth. And the truth that, of who we are, and, he, and we have to wrestle with that truth and, and decide if we're going to submit or not. And so the beautiful thing about this feast, about this conversation, about the idea of Jesus Christ the King is that He's king by invitation. He invites you into his kingdom. You know, he knocks on the door. 
all he's all he offers is the truth, but it's the truth we were made for. It's the truth our heart longs for, but he's not going to force his way in. So all of us have this invitation to surrender to that truth and find the freedom only that can bring. Amen to that. All right, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show, King of the Universe. I think the real... The real uh, content of this show happens at the breaks. The very short breaks, but a lot goes down. Very, very <laughs> short breaks. So I don't know how you got on this, but you started doing British accent. Well, our first, okay, so uh, the first thing we talked about was a story out of Britain. That's right. And of, of the, the mistake, the, the, mis- the sharks in the pool. <laughs> right. And so that kind of started a, a little British banter. Right. And um, you just talked about Pilate talking to Jesus. Right. I, I made the comment, I don't know if I could handle that conversation like with British accents. Yeah. I think it loses something. It does. Who do you say that I am? You say that I'm a king. <laughs> you bloody liar. <laughs> that's what we were doing. Yeah. So that that's the kind of stuff that Yeah, if there was a break. like a Jesus show and it was like British accents, I would just like, yeah, this is like comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz yeah. It'd be interesting. I you know as a a different accent than what people are used to hearing, but also the the Middle East, like if it's a lot different, I mean, it, it could it could be difficult to like connect with that character, you know? Yeah, there was this uh, like comedy thing when I was growing up called Mystery Science Theater. Have you? Oh ever? yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was dumb. Yeah. But what you would laugh at was the British accents. <laughs> so it really wasn't like the comedy. It was just like the things that they would say in a British accent, and you were like, "That's so funny!" And they're like, <laughs> actually, what they said was not funny at all. It was just the accent. So anyway, anyway. All right. So do we have a six pack of questions? Man. Question. That, that, they were struggling to pop that open. Yeah. It was a morning. tough one. Yeah. Uh, question number one. So we talked about getting it wrong. Uh, sometimes, um, you ever get it wrong and like it costs a lot of money? Hmm. Do you have any good story like that where like you just you just thought something was true but it wasn't true, or you thought you were doing something and you weren't doing something, and then it cost big time? Man, there's some scam artists out there, um, but um, I've been on the verge before. When I first married, uh, these people came over selling vacuum cleaners to our apartment, mm-hmm. and they were like state of the art, and like they just came to the door. And like they almost they like push their their way through the door. They're like we have a vacuum cleaner, and they just like we're in. And and then my wife walks out. And she's like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "I don't know." They were selling vacuum cleaners, and they just kind of came in. And then before they know it, they they were like, uh, "This vacuum cleaner is five hundred dollars. It'll clean everything." And they're like, "But we could give it to you today. They're in my house. Mm-hmm. They can give it to you today for two fifty. 
And we're like, we can't afford a $250 <laughs> vacuum cleaner. And no lie, they would be like, we're going to call our boss. So they'd get on the phone and they're like, hey, boss, man, uh, we can we negotiate down on this vacuum cleaner? Okay, we can give it to you for $200. You're like, I'm not buying a vacuum cleaner today <laughs> at all. And I just found myself like with these people in my house thinking the mistake that I made was allowing them in. <laughs> but yeah, I felt I felt violated. I felt violated. Well, I'm sorry about that. Yeah. But we told them no for sure and asked them to leave and not come back because it was really strange. Yeah. So they... They were dressed up like goldfish, but turned out to be sharks. Yeah, the real failure, though, is if I would have bought a vacuum cleaner. I would have never, ever, ever lived that down. <laughs> right? Yeah. So. That'd be tough. All right, question number two. So we talked about kind of admitting you're wrong. Um, you worked with a lot of folks, some people that really struggle with just admitting they're wrong, particularly in marriage. That comes up a lot. Like if, if people are struggling in marriage, there's usually that that hesitancy to admit you're wrong. So what are some steps or like some things you could offer as far as getting better at that, like a little quicker, a little easier to admit that you did something wrong? I think the longer you wait and the more things build up, the harder it is, right? Because not only are you apologizing for one thing, you're apologizing now for a lot of things that have built up. And it becomes much easier to make a habit of apologizing and reconciling before things get worse. And just to go back, you know, if, if something happened yesterday or today, just to, to call your spouse and just be like, Hey, I, w- I want to apologize. I know that, you know, I said that and, you know, I kind of raised my voice and I, you know, I was wrong and, you know, that's not my intention and, and talk it out and, and solve it and reconcile it and move on. But the longer that behavior of those things build up, then it becomes bigger and bigger. Now you find yourself with a mediator or a counselor and you're like, man, I got to go back and apologize for like all these things and this behavior that I've been, you know, just shoving under the rug. And that's not who I am. It's not what my heart wants to be. But I find myself now more prideful because I have a lot of shame. And at the, at the, I think at the root of pride is shame. We're, we feel horrible about the way we are. And so to not feel horrible about the way we are, we want to prove that that we're right. Hmm. All right. Question number three, we talked about Jesus Christ, King of the universe. Um, Let's say someone's listening this morning and, you know, they can't think of a specific time where they really like surrender. This idea of surrendering to God is often the the center point of certain retreat experiences or certain... um, you know, spiritual direction settings or something, but like, is there an actual moment? Like, should there be a moment in our life that we can kind of point to or many moments of, of this surrender that we talked about to Christ the King? Yeah. I mean, if you haven't had that moment, I remember the moment, the day that I just gave my life to the Lord. I just said it in my heart and in, in a prayer, like I just surrender, I give you my life. And I don't know what that means or what the future holds, but I can't do this on my own anymore. Right. And I surrender my life, my sins, my future. And if you haven't made that act of faith that get on your knees in bed at night and, and pray that prayer and, and surrender and then continue to do that, you know? Uh, so it would be silly for me you know, 25 years later to look at my wife and say, you know, the day we got married, I said, I love you, but I don't need to do it again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That wouldn't go so well, right? Mm -mm. Every day, 
every day I should tell her I love her and I appreciate her and that, you know, I'm in this, you know, forever with her. The same is true. Like, you know, once you give your life to the Lord, it becomes a daily act of faith of walking with the Lord. Good days, bad days, but it's still an ongoing relationship. Right on. All right. Question number four. Um, we talked about certain obstacles and among those obstacles, you you mentioned behaviors or like particularly sinful behaviors that may keep us from um, making Jesus Lord of our life. How does that work? You know, I mean, it, it kind of seems like to get rid of sin, I need Jesus in my life. I need him to be the king. But then also sin keeps me from doing that. Mm-hmm. So like I, I can think of several people I've spoken to even recently that kind of feel stuck in that cycle of like, sinfulness that's keeping Jesus out and not knowing how to overcome that, you know? Well, I think at the root of sinfulness and that pride is shame. We feel so horrible. And what what shame makes us feel like is we're unlovable. And so if we feel unlovable, then how can Jesus love me? How can God love me? And so it's easier one, to not believe than to believe. And so we shut, we shut it off. And I remember one spiritual direction I had years ago, spiritual direction said, spiritual director said that, uh, you know, my life was like, uh, you know, a a faucet and, you know, imagine like an outside faucet. And he said, there's just a drip coming down of God's grace, but I'm not allowing, you know, I'm not turning on the faucet all the way and allowing God to just overflow in my life. And it really hit me because I, I was controlling the faucet. Mm-hmm. I had the ability, I have free will to say, you know, I only want a little bit of God. I don't want to be uncomfortable. And, and the more and more we kind of talk through that and I, I kind of spiritually, emotionally begin to just open up the, the gateway, the, the floodgates, you know, it, but it takes it takes some time and and believing that God's grace will will kind of help you through that process, you know. Mm-hmm. The other thing with shame, just to to make light of that, is if if you're feeling shame for your life, your sin, talk to someone and help let let them speak truth into your life because sin does not define who you are. It, it's not your destiny, right? Uh, there there's there's hope there. All right, Christ the King Sunday, question number five. Christ the King Sunday's upcoming. Um, maybe we, you know, the parish is supposed to be this community of believers and disciples all under the king, right? Like the parish, the tabernacle of that church um, is Jesus' throne in which he reigns in that city. And the community of the parish should be always growing and growing and growing so that Jesus is king in more and more and more places. But a lot of our parishes experience, parish experiences, maybe we don't experience our parish that way, and we don't even know the people around us or anything like that. Um, so my question is, with Christ the King Sunday in mind in our parish, you know, what are some things we could do to kind of share this good news with our parishioners? You know, like sometimes even looking across the pew and saying, hey, isn't Jesus king? Isn't that great? Just seems like a frightful idea, right? <laughs> like, like we can't even talk about that with each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think oftentimes like in parishes, like you show up and you're like, oh, it's Christ the King Sunday. And they do, you know, the liturgy and maybe maybe people do a procession or whatever. 
But there doesn't really seem to be one, an explanation and two, a call to action. You know, the explanation, like what we're talking about on the show is like, Hey, Christ is King of the universe. This is not just a formal celebration, but he wants to be King of your heart. Like, Mm -hmm. like let's, let's connect the two together. And then this call to action of, Oh yeah, by the way, it is our role as Christians to share that with the world. Right. Like we can't expect, you know, the whole city of St. Martinville where you live to show up for mass and be like, Oh, it's Christ the King. No, it's the people who go to mass who understand it's Christ the King to go to the city and proclaim it, right. To share with their friends and, and, and uh, to not be ashamed of that. Love it. All right. Question number six. Advent is just around the corner. We literally have, after the Sunday, one week to prepare for Advent. So what should we be doing during that week? How do you get ready for Advent? I think think to ask the question now, like, what do I need to do for Advent to like grow spiritually? Like, what do I need? Have I gotten away from my prayer life? Do I need a devotional to help me with that? Do I need, you know, have I gotten away from like community? Do I need a small group for Advent? Do I need to go to mass more? Do I need to get back to mass? Like do an evaluation of what your spiritual needs are. And then to be real intentional about that through Advent, right? With the hope that after Advent, like there's a spiritual renewal in your life. Maybe I need to go on a retreat during Advent. Maybe I, I need to, you know, have a consistent prayer time in Advent. Maybe I need to pray the rosary more during Advent. Go to Mass more. Go to Mass, period. You know, whatever. Go to adoration. You know, maybe I need to go to receive the Sacrament of Reconciliation. And have it. Like do a real evaluation of what your spiritual needs are and be proactive about it. And this is for men and women and families alike. Like, I think we need to all all do that. Sweet. So. Six pack. Of questions. We did that right in time. We did. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I, we, Adam and I do want to encourage everyone, including, you know, ourselves included, is, is to be proactive with Advent as you approach it. You know, uh, you got Christ the King, and then you really have, you have a week, Thanksgiving, which is going to be like, you know, family and whatever. And then by the following Sunday, Advents begin. So make start beginning to make a decision now. Like what's your what's your prayer life going to look like for Advent? Like what is your liturgical life going to look like for Advent? Like what's your sacramental life going to look like for Advent? Like what you know what what are your spiritual needs that you want to focus on? And I often say this is if you make too many goals, you won't achieve any of them. So have fewer very focused spiritual goals for Advent and hit those marks, right? Mm-hmm. And what you'll find is that you'll begin to gain some traction and move forward. So that would be sort of our advice. So feel free to share the show on the podcast with people all over. Um, let me be a part of the show. And thanks to KLFT Radio here in Acadiana and for everyone listening in our area to the show. And we'll be praying for you and we'll be back next week. God bless. God bless.